The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayer this morning. So many names. And there's so many more that we didn't even mention. But God, you know our hearts. You know their circumstances. And the Lord... God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit, who is the Prince of Peace, may your healing power and your resurrection work come upon these people, upon your people, and upon all those that we've lifted up to you. And Lord, Lord, we plead with you today, Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, it said, I have to mention, that it said, if that was a long time to stand and a lot of Lord hear our prayers, what the church has often called worship, this is another name for worship. They often refer to worship as the work of the people. I find it striking that what we call worship, many Christians have called work the work of the people. And I think, I say that just to thank you for standing and participating with your whole body and to say over and over again, Lord, hear our prayer. And if we didn't get his attention the first time, we said enough to get it the second, third, and 30th time. Thank you for participating in the work of the people in worship. I have loved eating with my family. When I was growing up, I loved eating with my family. It was, part of, it was part of our regular ritual and routine. And I always looked forward to it every night. There wasn't too many nights that we missed. It helped that my mom's cooking was out of this world And my mom's not even here, so I'm not saying it because there was always some meat dish and then two to three different vegetables with salad and rolls. My mom went all out. And we always had good conversations. And most of them, most of the conversations led to my brothers and I cracking jokes at the dinner table. And jokes were usually, these jokes were usually at the expense of me or my brothers. And they would eventually lead to arguments at the dinner table. I know we're probably the only family that's ever occurred, that's ever had arguments at a dinner table. But it was usually my brothers and I arguing over something. And it was usually something stupid. Like we would joke and argue about sports and who is the best. I'd kill you in a game of basketball. No, you wouldn't. I'd dunk over you. The only thing you'd dunk is a donut in milk. I mean, you know, stupid stuff. But as we're arguing amongst each other, it'd be my dad that, that would chime in and say, Hey, Ben, would you mind passing the salt to your mother? And then we'd bicker and argue over who was the, the wittiest or the funniest. 
And in the midst of that, my mom would say, make sure your brother has enough iced tea, okay, Ben? Then we'd get into argument over something maybe we learned at school. And we'd start arguing about that. And then my mom would ask one of my brothers, would you be so kind to go and get more napkins for the table? And we would jaw at each other about who was the smartest. And then my parents would remind us to help clean up after one another at the table. I learned a lot at the dinner table. I learned what it meant to be a family, and really, not just what it meant to be a family in terms of arguing and those stupid arguments we'd have with my brother and the jokes that would happen, but all those little things my parents would insert. Would you mind passing this? Would you mind making sure your brother had enough tea? Would you mind going and getting more napkins? Would you mind cleaning up? That in a small way, I learned what it meant to be in a family. I learned what it meant to serve. I learned what it meant to truly be a human being at the dinner table. We've been in Luke, the spirit-powered gospel. And we've said before that in Luke's gospel, one of the central settings for ministry is around a table. So many things in Luke happen around a table. And today our text comes from Luke 22, beginning in verse 14 through 30. If you'll read along with me. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at a table. After he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Then it says, They began to question among themselves, who of them might be the one who would do this? And then a dispute arose among them as to which one was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise over the authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be your youngest should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. 
and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is at a table, again in Luke. And this is a table that we're most familiar with. This is a table that we share with Jesus each week. And one thing I want you to notice about this, if you've grown up Church of Christ, you've heard a lot about the institution of the Lord's Supper and why you take it. But here's what I want you to hear, at least part of today. Is that while he says, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice what he says before that. It says that they went and they sat at the table. And the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is this. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal. In fact, it could be translated this way. I have desired with desire to eat with you. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat with you. This matches the Jesus we see in Luke. It says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. One of the things that comes up is that Jesus is one who seeks. He has this desire. Remember the story of Zacchaeus last week? Zacchaeus went to climb the tree because he wanted to see Jesus, only to find out that Jesus walks into town, and his desire was to seek out Zacchaeus. Then you have stories that we haven't even got to in this sermon series in chapter 15, Jesus tells this parable. He says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found that one lost sheep. Or suppose a woman has a silver coin and loses one, or silver coins and loses one, doesn't she light the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Or the story we know so well. It says, So when the sun got up out of the pig pen and went to his father. But while he, was a, while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Let me say this. We don't share this meal. Week in and week out because we have to. 
we eat this meal because Jesus loves us and intensely desires to eat with us each week. We may feel like we go through the motions of a ritual, but this is not just a motionless ritual for God. Whatever is going on in your heart during this meal, know this. Here's what's going on in Jesus' heart. He intensely desires to eat with you this evening. Jesus wants to share this meal with you each week. And then he wants to share it with you in the great banquet which he's preparing when he comes back. He wants you to remember him, remember his body. And it says he wants you to participate in his suffering, participate in his cup. But it's interesting in this story that as soon as they have the meal and he says all of these things, and he talks about the one who is going to betray them, that all the disciples start looking around and they begin to argue. Someone's going to betray him? Not me. Not me. Well, it's for sure not going to be me. And you know, like, you can imagine when my brothers and I, when we were teenagers, begin arguing. At first, it's not me. And then it's arguing over, well, I'm better than you. You can't beat me at basketball. You think you're funny? Watch this. They begin to argue around the table over who's the greatest. The early church fathers commented on this exchange, many of them. Even in the early church, they commented on this exchange that happens between the disciples. And they noted that this is not just a problem for the 12, but it's been a problem throughout church history. We've experienced our own versions of this, haven't we? It seems so right at the time. It seems so justified, the thing we want to argue for. It seems to be a righteous cause or something to be defended, but it ends up in an argument about who should be on top. Even though it's not said explicitly, it often becomes an argument about who's the greatest. And so we come to Christ's table week in and week out, taking a little bit of the bread and drinking the cup and arguing over who's the greatest. But Jesus asked this question, who is greater? The one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table, he says? But I among you, I am among you, Jesus says, as the one who serves. And just before that, he says this. He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Who is greater? The one sitting at the table or the one serving? 
And so when we come to the table, Jesus desperately wants you to eat with him. But he just doesn't want you to remember his body. He just doesn't want you to participate by drinking the cup. Like my brothers and I, there were lots of things that I learned at the table. And in Luke's gospel, he says, here's one of the things that happens when you come to the Lord's Supper. Here's one thing you should remember. Not only Jesus' body, and not only participating in his suffering, in his cup, but here's what you should also remember. You should remember how the world works according to God and those that serve are the ones that are most needy those who participate in Jesus way of serving are the ones who are greatest in God's kingdom here's what I've experienced at the Springs In talking with Tim and Kara after May died, just this past Friday night, they talked about how people from this church served them by being with them from the time Kara went into labor all the way through their time in the hospital. They didn't sleep. They talked about how so many from this church brought them food. They need an extra refrigerator. I was an idiot. I called the other night and said, hey, can I come by and see you? We tried to get together early in the week, but they had some other things. And, and I said, well, they said, yeah, you can come by. And I said, well, can we bring you dinner? And Tim was like, um, well, we kind of already have that coming to us today. And he was very kind to me, only to find out later they have meals scheduled for the next month. I mean, I'm glad I asked, but I'm an idiot. Of course you guys have got meals ready for them the next month. She also said that when she came home from the hospital, not only there was their food out and around on their, in their house, but for, for I met with her on Friday night for that whole week, she said she was constantly going around the house and she would open up something and she would find a note with a note of encouragement or scripture that someone from their small group had come in and written her a note. She says, I'm still finding notes in my house. I know of people, many people in this congregation that when someone was unemployed, they have actively sought for job opportunities for those who are unemployed. It's tough looking for a job. But when you have a whole community looking for a job for you, you share that, you share that's, a, that's a burden, somewhat of a lift of a burden. We have a small group in this church that serves at a female juvenile detention center. And I don't know all the things that they do, but I think you planted a garden you do some stuff with education and mentoring. And it's not, a, it's not a near drive for them. It's about an hour. They drive about an hour. And they serve. Young women, teenagers. Who've been abandoned in most cases. 
by other people. I've watched the youth you guys serve at Jefferson Gardens. You guys go down to Capitol Hill and serve. You served at Cross and Crown. I've watched you serve one another. I've watched you serve this church. And adults who give their time, even adults that don't have kids in the youth group, that go and serve our youth. Others in this congregation that serve our college students. After Kelly and Becky Moore lost their son, Becky was telling me that she would be home all day and she'd look out her back window and she'd see the deck where their son had, had died. And she would just cry. Until one day she says she couldn't take it anymore. So she called somebody from the church and says, I can't take this anymore. I can't take looking at this deck anymore. And that weekend, a whole herd of people from this church came and tore that deck down and rebuilt one, a brand new one, in a day. I've witnessed those who give 16 to 32 Sundays a year, Sunday evenings, preparing and leading and re-engage to help people in this congregation, including my wife and I, and including those in our community, just serving them, trying to help make their marriages better. We have people reading with international students from the Gospel of Luke and, help Luke and helping them with their English. We have those who serve and spend a lot of time in men's and women's ministry serving our church. We have people that drive buses. We have people that greet us coming in, that serve by greeting us. People who serve, leading worship and organizing, getting up on 7 a.m. sometimes on Saturday morning to rehearse. Who wants to get up at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning? But they do it with joyful hearts in order to come and serve and lead us in worship. We have people that serve in the tech booth. We have people that serve our kids. Quarter after quarter teaching them. And Kim and I have been on the receiving end of this service as well. Five years ago, many of you know my daughter Bella, who's here this morning, had cancer. It was pretty scary, a three-year-old to have cancer. She had pain in her abdomen, and we went in and thought it was something else. They thought it was something else, and they did surgery only to find a mass the size of a golf ball in her stomach. I don't think my wife left the hospital for five weeks, laying with my daughter in the bed. And there were so many people that came up to visit us, and at that time, we weren't members at the Springs. I wasn't preaching at the Springs. But I can't even count how many of you showed up at OU Medical to visit us, to bring meals. Some just stopped by with a word of encouragement. 
some members from this congregation came and sat with us and talked. Sometimes it was serious about Bella. Sometimes it was just, just to talk and to laugh and think about something else. I can't tell you how many times Phil and Jane Loafman, their grandson was at Children's at that time as well. And we didn't even know him then. But these random people would pop in who we didn't know, really. And they would ask how Bella was doing. They would give us a word of encouragement. They would always pray over us. I sat across from a table several months ago with Phil, and we shared a meal. And we reminisced on this. And I grabbed his hand, and he grabbed mine. And we cried. And I said, it doesn't matter what you say or do, Phil. I'm going to love you, even if we disagree. I'm going to love you because you showed up when Bella was sick. I can't forget that. So my question is, where has this church learned that? Where have you learned to serve like that? Just like my brothers and I, we learn to serve at my, the table from my parents. Christ says, that is what you come and learn when you come to this table. And if you haven't realized it, every time you come to this table, this is what Christ is intending to teach you. It is his table. He wants desperately to eat with you. He is the host of the table. He is serving you. So go and serve as Christ has served you. This is what you are to remember. This is what you are to participate in. Go and serve as Christ has served you. That is the spirit power of God. Amen. So we're going to come to the table here in just a minute. But I'm going to ask you to do something. Because we come and we serve ourselves. But today I want you to do this. And I've asked you to do a lot of different things today. Some things that have demanded something of your body and of your mind and of your... But you know what? That's okay. Because the gospel is demanding. It demands something from you. And sometimes it demands things from you that you're not very comfortable doing. Maybe serving is one of those things. So when you come today and you share with your family and your friends, when you hug each other's neck and when you break bread and take the cup, say to one another, not just pretend. I'm saying actually with your mouth, say to one another, go and serve as Christ has served you. That's what we learn at God's table. That's what it means to be great. That's what God is teaching you at this table today and every time we gather around. Go and serve as Christ has served you. That is the spirit power of God. Will you stand and come to the